When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. We made it. It's the weekend. We got college basketball games to watch this weekend. We have a great show uh, planned for you today to get you into the weekend. Uh, Steve Kim, uh, the Korean Cosell will be here, as will be Coach Jason Brown. Uh, we're going to talk some Lamar Jackson today. We're going to talk some Nick Saban, Nate Oates. We're going to talk a little. Tom Brady is now a WNBA governor, or, or are they using the word owner? Whatever. Tom Brady's now part of the WNBA. Uh, we'll get into that with uh, Steve Kim here shortly. Uh, I want to tell you guys what you need to do as we start today's show uh, 5,000 likes. Hit that like button starting now and hit it repeatedly, 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 repeatedly. Get in the comments. Tell me what you think about today's show, this entire week's worth of show. Uh, if you're listening over Apple, hit that five-star review. Uh, write a little comment. Someone wrote a really, really, really long review, and I enjoyed it. I read all of it. Uh, but but I, I appreciate you guys uh, taking my offer to leave a comment or review seriously and doing that. Uh, we need to continue to do that. We need to continue to sign up for a roll call and be here with us on uh, April 15th. But for right now, just hit the likes. J just, just write a comment. Just support uh, the Fearless Army and the Fearless Show so that we can continue to do this show. And also, uh, while I'm telling you what a fearless soldier needs to do, let me t remind you about Preborn and our mission and our commitment to support life inside the womb and how important that mindset is uh, for all of us and it, how it helps us with the right outlook and the right worldview on life outside the womb. There's no better way to do that than by supporting preborn and supporting a baby in the womb. Too many babies are aborted. Preborn is one of the greatest organizations going today in supporting women who are thinking about ending their pregnancy. They're nervous, they're scared, they're under all kinds of pressure. Preborn steps in, provides them an ultrasound which introduces them to their baby, introducing them to the heartbeat and an image of their baby, and those women are much more likely to then choose life, and then that's when Preborn really gets going. They provide that woman two years worth of support from diapers to carriages to whatever the baby needs, they're there to help provide and fill in the gap for that woman who was considering an abortion. Preborn has saved more than 200,000 babies this year between 
the fearless army soldier and blaze we're going to save 50,000 more babies all it costs is $28 to sponsor an ultrasound $140 sponsors five ultrasounds this is part of our mission here uh, part of the fearless movement you guys know I love nothing better than to get an email from you guys uh, at fearlessblazeshow at gmail telling me hey I supported preborn I do it all the time, you can do it all the time. $28, $10, $1,000, $500, whatever. It all goes directly to an ultrasound, directly to supporting that woman and that life inside the womb. This preborn's not filled with a bunch of mid-level executives making six-figure salaries. Preborn does exactly what it says it does. It provides ultrasounds and then it, it, it supplies support to the women that choose life. All you have to do is hit pound 250 and say the keyword baby on your phone, pound 250 and the keyword baby, or you can do it the Jason Whitlock way, preborn.com slash Jason. That's preborn.com slash Jason. Be a good fearless soldier. Support preborn. All right, let's get into uh, today's show. Uh, if we will, uh, let's roll out to Los Angeles and bring in uh, Steve Kim. Guys, do me a favor and, and start the clock so I know how long we're going here. But uh, Steve, I want to start with you uh, by talking about Lamar Jackson, who's embroiled in a bit of controversy. I don't know. Controversy is the right word or, or I wouldn't call it controversy, but something interesting. There's a business partner of his, Ken Francis, who the NFL felt compelled to send out a note reminding NFL executives, don't negotiate with Ken Francis. Yes, he's a business partner of Lamar Jackson's. Yes, there's some loose affiliation, but he is not a registered owner, rec uh, agent recognized by the NFLPA. So do not negotiate with this guy, Lamar uh, has, you know, put out some statements saying, you know, accusing some people of lying about him. But anyway, let's watch this video of, of Lamar announcing his new business venture that involves Ken Francis. Combining outdoor training and a portable gym maximizes time and workout routines. With over 250 plus workout routines, the entire gym brings you the flexibility to work out anywhere, anytime. Uh, yeah, this entire gym may come in handy for Lamar if he can't sign with anybody. He may be, you know, out in your neighborhood, Steve, and just need to get a workout in and maybe just be working out in a park near you if he can't, <laughs> if he can't get a deal done. But anyway, uh, Lamar's been kind of upset about the rumors and, and tweeted out, said, stop lying. That man ain't never tried to negotiate for me. <sighs> the Lamar Jackson thing is pretty dang fascinating that these rumors are out here and surely the NFL put out this note because Ken Francis was probably trying to do a little too much and was trying to do something. Uh, th this whole thing of not having an agent, I don't think is going well for Lamar Jackson. Uh, first of all, good Friday to you, Jason. Yeah, about that workout thing, hey guys, I, and I don't want to bust Jack Lane Jackson's uh, 
dream here, but you could just get some resistance bands on go on YouTube, and, and there's a plenty of workouts you can get there for free. So anyway, um, yeah, this is interesting to me that Ken Francis, at least he has business acumen. I think there's some issues with licensing in terms of being an NFL agent, but you could make the argument based on his business past and what he does for a living. Maybe he's more qualified than the person that had been negotiating on his behalf, his mother. And this whole thing, as I'm kind of watching this develop, it got me thinking. I don't know if you remember this, but Evander Holyfield in the 90s, when he was the heavyweight champion of the world, the great real deal Holyfield, certainly one of the uh, iconic fighters of that era. Jason, do you remember when his manager, and this is not a joke, was none other than MC Hammer? During the two legit to quit days. I, mean, yeah, I know. It's not a joke. So don't laugh. I'm being serious here. I am serious. I today. thought you were going to go with Master P representing Ricky Williams. But <laughs> yeah, okay. Go and ahead. So, yeah, so, you know, it, it was interesting because Hammer actually was involved in fight negotiations. Originally, Evander Holyfield was signed out of the Olympics by main events and his co-managers or his representatives were main events, and then his managers were a gentleman by the name of Ken Sanders, and then Lou Duba and Shelly Finkel were involved, longtime figures in boxing. Then suddenly, uh, right around the time that he was fighting Riddick Bowe in 91, 92, 93, that era, a Hammer was a ubiquitous presence um, in his corner, and he tried to dabble into boxing, and that didn't really work out. And then obviously, like you said, Master P, I still remember. So that was in 1998. When Ricky Williams had won the Heisman Trophy and everyone assumed he was going to be the first running back taken off the board, but a young enterprising man out of Immokalee, Florida named Edgerin James swooped in and took his spot. But still, Ricky Williams was drafted very high. And I remember Mike Ditka gave up his whole draft for one guy. And Master P, and I'm not making light of this, but literally signed one of the worst incentive-laden deals of all time. I mean, that deal was so bad, you could label that black-on-black black crime. I, I mean, if he was a lawyer, he would have been disbarred. But again, no jokes. We're, we are being serious. But Lamar, just dial up Lee Steinberg or Ken Condon or one of those guys. Come on. Look, you're going to get hundreds of millions of dollars. You just got to figure out how much of it is going to be guaranteed. That's the crux of the issue. Let's not blow this up. He's going to get paid. But come on, Lamar. Let's get serious about this. Lamar's facing, he's taking on the entire NFL establishment. And, and, and everybody is thinking that NFL ownership is the real bad guy in this situation. And, and that's what's popular to say. Well, the owners are racist. Of course they are. And so they're the, they're the boogeyman. But, but what about the agents? and how they're likely working against and rooting against Lamar Jackson. They do not want athletes representing themselves and cutting themselves, cutting the agents out of their 10, 5%, whatever, you know, standard is 10%, I think. They don't want the athletes cutting them out of that. And so you won't hear a lot of ESPN or Fox Sports broadcasters talking about how the agents are working against uh, Lamar Jackson because many of these same 
broadcasters, maybe not represented by Jimmy Sexton or whoever the top uh, NFL agent is, Drew Rosenhaus or whatever, whoever the top NFL agent is right now or are right now, because those agents work for firms, CAA, WME, that employ their individual agents. And so you want, that's why you'll see the broadcasters point everything at NFL ownership. And of course, the Baltimore Ravens, they're mistreating Lamar, these racist white men, NFL owners. What they will not talk about is the potential that the, and Steve, duck your head when I say this, but I gotta say it, I gotta keep it real because that's what we do on this show. When the white Jewish agent is perhaps the real bad guy in this situation, they're not gonna talk about that. It's much easier to talk about the white owner than the cabal of agents that control much of the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. Yeah, you know, I let me draw another parallel to boxing. Uh, promoters have told me this, and a lot of people within the industry, they actually don't mind when the traditional manager, the guy that's managed and handled fighters for years, is negotiating a big fight. Because they generally know the industry, they know the landscape, and they know how the business is run, and they are much more realistic about the actual numbers there are. When it gets sideways is when family members, Uncle Ray Ray and the father, who, who have never had any business experience, have never actually handled another fighter except for their own kinfolk, right? And they hit the genetic lottery and they quit their jobs and they look at their sons as a walking ATM. It's actually worse than ever now, Jason. We were talking about it last night during our monthly boxing dinner. And promoters will tell you, you know what? Give us the guy with more knowledge. The guy that I've battled for for 25 years, the guy that I've hung up on, the guy that I've cut, because at least they understand the industry. And I think when you bring in these interlopers who have no real past experience in negotiating contracts and understand the NFL landscape, I think it makes it worse. I really do. And at this point, you know, look, I, I would actually say to Lamar, you know what? Give Tank Black another shot if he's even alive. Just get somebody that knows what they're doing. <laughs> and the other thing is, I, I have a question. And I got into a, a bit of a, a discussion on Coach JB's show with Matt McChesney, former player. And my view is this. Look, Lamar's going to get paid. But I have a question for all those people that say, well, Lamar should hang on that every one of his dollars – should be guaranteed like Deshaun Watson, which has been described as the, one of the most reckless deals in sports history, or at least recent history, right? So let's say a team goes out there and says, you know what, Lamar, we believe in you. You're going to have three more MVPs and a couple Super Bowls in your future, so we're going to offer you a $400 million contract, but only $320 million of it is guaranteed. So at that point, is that, is that ownership still racist? Are they still colluding? against Lamar Jackson. And that, that's why there, there, there seems to be like this middle ground that it does not exist. Either there's collusion or Lamar Jackson should get every one of his dollars guaranteed, but there should be no middle ground. I just don't understand it. Well, the collusion in the media is that Lamar Jackson should get whatever it is he wants. 
yeah. and that there's only one side to be on on this. It's Lamar Jackson. He he you know he was MVP two years ago. He he's he's X Y and Z. He's of course you have to pay him whatever it is he wants. And anybody that says, hey, the guy's missed ten of the last twenty two games declined to play in a playoff game where he probably could have played, oh, you're just racist, or you're a sellout, or you're caping up for ownership. It's not that, hey, no, I understand how the business works, and there's, you know, uh, uh, a yin and a yang, and there's two sides to every argument. It's not that. It's just you're caping up for ownership and you're racist and you're against Lamar Jackson. And of course, Lamar Jackson should get whatever he wants because he's Lamar Jackson and he's the perfect human being. And he's just not. He's a lot by, by trying to set or follow up on what Deshaun Watson did uh, with his contract. His ego is now involved. His pride is now involved. Everything is personal. He doesn't have, his mom can't give him the perspective and neither can anybody at the NFLPA, Demore Smith or any of those people at the NFLPA. They're not going to tell Lamar Jackson the truth. Nobody, no, nobody is. He, he's the golden child. He, if you say the wrong thing, again, you're one of the worst human beings on the planet. The man needing an agent so that this wouldn't be personal. It would just be about business and what leverage do you actually have? Given the fact you've missed, you've been unavailable, unavailable for such a high percentage of games over the last two years, your leverage isn't any good. And that stupid contract the Browns gave Deshaun Watson has made everyone say, I'm not gonna do it. And so th there is a magic number in there because I, I love this whole, their contracts aren't guaranteed. These top quarterbacks and top players, their contracts are guaranteed for three or four years. They yeah. may sign a six year deal. The first three or four years of it are guaranteed based on the guaranteed money that, that they get and the signing bonus and all that other stuff. There's just a very unsophisticated argument that is being had and all the pieces aren't on the table in the discussion. They're hiding something, the broadcasters, the sports writers, because now all, all of them, all the sports writers, all the broadcasters, they all have agents. And, 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 and they're caping up for the agent world because they're in business with them. And so they have no interest in telling the truth about Lamar and they have a lot of interest in just demonizing ownership and, and, and thinking that that's, that's a great thing. I'm someone that just in transparency, probably had three or four different agents in my career, ended up getting rid of all of them at one point or another, ended up negotiating my own deals. Uh, and, and so I get where Lamar's coming from, but if I had been trying to do this at age 25, 26 yep. like Lamar, no, no, way, no way it could happen. No, no, I would take things way too personally. It, it's, it's, Lamar's got a bad client, he, and he's a bad client because he's representing himself, and uh, mama ain't gonna tell him, it, his mama don't know what to tell him. I feel bad for Lamar. I, I don't see this, I think this thing could end up wrecking Lamar's career and doing some serious damage to his career because 
I'm not sure if he's ever they made he may land a really good contract. But happiness is based on expectations. He may be unhappy with a really good contract and that could uh, affect his performance moving forward. Uh, You know, looking at it from the other side, and again, there's that old saying, that famous quote from The Godfather, never personal, it's always business. Now, looking at it from the Ravens' perspective, uh, this ain't good for them either, though. They lost the heartbeat of their franchise, their most popular player post-Ed Reed, Ray Lewis, and the identity of their offense. Now, you could say, well, maybe they needed to, but again, Lamar Jackson was so popular in Baltimore you're going to have a disgruntled fan base. And look, really elite quarterbacks, and he is one of them, and you could decide high, high, how high is he on that hierarchy, but I would say certainly he's among the top seven, eight quarterbacks in the world. Those are not easy to replace. So, so my thing is this with Lamar. As you said, he might get a really good contract, but what if it's on a bad franchise? You could say one thing about Lamar. Has not had great playoff success, doesn't have any rings on the finger, but for the most part, they have consistently won together. The Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson as quarterback. There is no guarantee that the next team that he goes to will surround him with the type of offense or the parts, which has been a bit of an issue on the outside, that he will need to elevate himself. Certain players, I believe, belong with certain franchises. He's certainly one of them. Uh, I want to move on to uh, Nate Oates and Nick Saban. Uh, Nate Oates in Alabama, I believe, played tonight in the NCAA tournament. They have the best player in the country, allegedly freshman Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller, of course, involved in the controversial and the tragic events uh, with, with the murder of a woman, Jamea Harris. And, and at some point, uh, Nate Oates had said that you know he was at the wrong place at the wrong time and of course Nick Saban makes a comment uh, about his Tony Mitchell their five-star recruit that they've suspended who was allegedly caught s- selling drugs and with a gun and fleeing police and Nick's, Nick Saban says something about wrong place wrong time the media asked Nate Oates yesterday in preparation uh, for the NCAA tournament if they thought Nick Saban was taking a shot at Nate Oates in the basketball program. Let's watch Nate Oates' response. Uh, yeah, so he and I talked that night, and I didn't take it that way at all. Got a ton of respect for Coach. You know, I said my opening press conference when I got hired at Alabama that he may be the best coach for team sports and modern sports history. I mean, I... When I was a high school coach back in Romulus, I had a whole section of Saban quotes in our practice plan. I still have it. I, uh, I probably use them a little less now that we're here, and they get they get plenty of Saban quotes just in the regular media. But I, I've got a ton of respect for him. He's been tremendously supportive of our program since he's got here. I mean, he says it all the time. He wants the entire athletic department to do well. He's been at multiple games this year. He came yesterday to speak to the team and. You know, he was good. Players loved it. I'm, uh, he and I got a great relationship, and I'm really thankful for the support that he's given us and continues to give us with the basketball program in Alabama. Hmm. 
All right, so you buying that? You buying that? That no hard feelings. And Saban, Saban was. They asked him at a pro day, and he said, "Look, man, I've never watched a basketball press conference in my entire time here at Alabama. I have no idea what was said. I wasn't taking a shot at anybody. You buying it? You know, can I go Family Feud? Good answer. Good answer. Because in the immortal <laughs> words of Dwayne." The Rock Johnson, he knows his role. Let's just go to the Alabama hierarchy. The two most important men at that institution is the school president and then Nick Saban. And I'm not exactly sure that's the order I'd put them in. And in fact, if you look at the hierarchy, so you go, okay, school president and or Nick Saban. So then you go down the line. Who are the other most important people at Alabama? Well, whoever the offensive coordinator is, the defensive coordinator, the strength coach is really important, especially during the offseason. Then you got the defensive line coach. Why all those other? Then you have Nate Oates right around like 19, right? And again, <laughs> this is the reality of Roll Tide Country. And all due respect to the great Wimp Sanderson, that was a really good basketball coach, built some really good teams out there in the 90s. But a successful football coach at Alabama will always be on top of the food chain over the basketball coach. And Nick Saban, he is the Lord of the Rings, so Nate Oates had to stand down no matter what. Again, he knows his role. Nick Saban spoke to the team yesterday, Steve. If mm. he had a problem, you think he'd be there speaking to the basketball team? Mm, yeah, maybe, but it's Nick Saban. Uh, St. Nick to me is untouchable. He's Elliot Ness at that institution. Bottom line, he's the most important man in that state, whether you like it or not. And Nate Oates, if he had a problem, um, he couldn't say it. I mean, if he cares about his job and his popularity and how he stands with the Alabama fan base. And I, and I do think that Nick, he's an old school coach and He's coming towards the end of his career. And I think, again, I'm going to say this, what I said a couple days ago. He has another national title or two in him, he believes, right? He doesn't want any more of the nonsense. He's kind of sick of the modern-day player. I don't even think he likes the NIL. He begrudgingly uses the transfer portal. Uh, and he's actually used it very effectively the last couple of years, whether he wants to admit it or not. But I don't think he wants any more issues. And this was his whole message to the football team. See that basketball club over there that we kind of pay attention to for about five months out of the year? Don't be like them, even though they kind of have been. But, you know, again, Nate Oates, he had to stand down. He had no choice. All right. Uh, last thing, Steve. Uh, Tom Brady, mm. ESPN, and everybody's breathlessly uh, uh, reporting, has acquired a stake in the Las Vegas Aces I believe they're the defending champions of the WNBA. Uh, let's watch Tom Brady and the WNBA team. Let, let's watch the announcement. Hey guys, what's up? I got really special news to share today. I'm excited to announce I'm gonna become part of the Las Vegas Aces organization. It was a matter of time before I was back in a building with some of the greatest athletes in the world. And I grew up with three older sisters uh, they were all incredible athletes in their own right. They were role models to me. It's where my love of women's sports began. I tagged along. I was the annoying little brother to all their games. And they were the best athletes in our house. And they're still a great inspiration to me. So 
I admire all the work the Aces players and staff and what the WNBA continues to do to grow the sport and to empower the future generations of female athletes, one I have in my own family, and I'm ready to contribute in any way possible as a member of such a great organization. What an honor. I can't wait to watch these amazing, talented players bring another championship to Las Vegas. LFG. Ugh. LFG. What is that? Let's Life not, feels no, good? No, let's have it go. Oh, let's Let, have it go. Oh, yeah. 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 And so, look, here's the key word here. He acquired. They didn't use the word purchase a stake in the team. He acquired. He was given a stake in this WNBA team as part of marketing and promotion of the WNBA. Look, the greatest athlete of all time, the greatest football player of all time. He owns part of the WNBA. He, he, you think Tom Brady, as much money as he lost with that, what's it, Sam Bankman Friedman or whatever, Sam Bank Friedman, what, as much money as he lost with that guy, you think he's throwing away some more money in the WNBA, a league that loses money every year? They gave him a stake in the WNBA as a publicity stunt. Uh, good luck with that. Yeah, I have more thoughts about this than I, than I, I imagine, believe it. First of all, Tom, when you went to your, your your sister's ball, your parents probably made you. I mean, they probably drug you. No, you probably that, ain't had your, that ain't true. I mean, you probably had your head buried in a Game Boy. From I mean, let's just be honest. You probably didn't enjoy those games. I don't blame you. The other thing is, I'm going to be as cynical as possible. This 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 relates a lot to his uh, former wife, uh, Jezebel Bunchen. Um, and yes, I said Jezebel. But anyway, um, now <laughs> as a single man with a lot of options, now he has an excuse to go to Las Vegas all the time. <laughs> that is brilliant. That is a great play action fake, my friend. Like, oh, got to go to Vegas again. Got some business with the Aces. Yeah, sure you do. The only downside is you might have to actually sit through some of their games. The other thing is, we are upon tax season. So let's take the opposite view. Maybe he did buy into a stake of Las Vegas. Maybe this is a tax write-off. You never know. And then when it comes to his divorce proceedings, if he has to give up the house, the dog, a couple of his kids, maybe a car. He could also, all right, Giselle or Jezebel, you can have my Aces shares. You can have that. So it's all part of this whole thing here. Um, and by the way, could you imagine Tom, if he really is one of the owners, uh, talking to one of those perennial malcontents that always feels as though that they're underpaid, like that one that married Darren Waller. Like she's always talking about how she's underpaid. Tom can just reel, can just reel back and say, you know what though, young lady, I got underpaid my whole career. I took less money than my market value. So do as I did, not only as I say. So you can look at this in many different ways. But you have a poor Tom. He might have to now actually sit through WNBA games. That's about the only downside. I, I, I'm looking at the Las Vegas Aces roster, and there's not a lot of prospects on this team if Tom is looking for – No, uh, no, no, no. We're talking about – bought the team for a dating prospect. No, 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 if, no, not on the no? team. Not on the team, just no. the city of Las Vegas. Just the city Kirsten of Las Vegas. Kirsten Bell, who's got tats all over the front of her chest yeah. and on her shoulders. You don't think he's uh, interested in her? Hey, hold on, hold on. Jason, Jason, can we be honest about this? Um, I don't yeah. think for a lot of those Aces players, 
Tom is not their type and vice versa. Let's just be very honest about that. Let's just be as blunt as possible. Tom owns a pair of scissors. He may, you know, they may have a lot in common. <laughs> I, I, if you look at Tom's roster, they don't seem to fit the description of what he wants. Let's just leave it at that. All right. Well, you, you just never know. I mean, you, you just you never know. Maybe he's maybe he's had enough of that type after the way Giselle Jezebel did him. Maybe maybe he maybe he wants an well. He's got an empowered feminist woman in, in Jezebel. Well, anyway, maybe Jackie Young. I mean, Jackie Young. I'm looking at a picture of her. She. Kind of reminds me, she could look like she might be able to play in the w, in the NBA. Uh, anyway, I'm, <laughs> they can just take the IE off that name. Uh, anyway, I'm done. I'm going to be in trouble. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've made a scissors comment. I've, I've questioned the tattoos of Kirsten Bell, who's a guard. Looks, uh, and looks one like of them a short Brittany Griner there. One of the players Excuse married Darren Waller. Yeah, that's Kelsey player. Plum. That's yeah. Kelsey Plum. She seems to be the star of this team in terms of if you're looking for anything to look up over Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, they were in it. Anyway, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to move on to Coach JB. Uh, go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Bearing witness requires courage, not perfection. Coach Jason Brown. Thanks. Atheist, the secular world, the culture uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect. You know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy. mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture. We, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let him chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let him sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl and you're gonna let him make the Bible hate speech, you're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms and there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder and every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know, you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together, 
But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. Open for uh, Coach JB. I like that. Jason Brown uh, rejoining the program. I don't think we we missed Jason last week, but uh, with uh, Lamar Jackson back in the news, and uh, you know, with no reason at all to bring Patrick Mahomes to into any of this discussion, no reason at all to bring Patrick Mahomes into any of this discussion. It's an honor to uh, bring Jason Brown back to the show now that we can talk just about Lamar Jackson without any reason at all to bring up Patrick Mahomes. Uh, JB, do you think uh, Lamar Jackson regrets uh, not hiring an agent at this point? I mean, you have to, right? I I'm pretty sure you have to regret it. I don't know. Uh, you've, you're, you're doing commercials now for like workout videos. I don't know if he's prepping for his next career or what he's doing, but uh, he should be focused on throwing the receivers and getting ready for whatever team he's going to play for. I don't know, man. I just don't see how Jerry Jones or any of these owners are going to sit down with his mama and negotiate a deal. And I don't see why he thinks that's really going to happen. And why are there no suitors? Why aren't anyone knocking down the door? But what does JB know? I've been saying it for a long time not sustainable the nfl owners and gms understand it and i have an interesting take jason matt mcchesney comes on my show played seven years in the league he's not by any means saying that it's collusion because of the color of his skin or any of that but having played in the nfl he thinks it could be collusion in another way you buy in to what the nfl wants you to do and that is to have an agent you don't go to outside sources for doctors you don't go to outside sources for second opinions it's all in-house nfl security nfl doctors nfl neuros why wouldn't they demand you use an agent as well and could that be an op uh, can that be a thing are they are they against him for not having an agent and making setting a precedent uh, going forward for quarterbacks to have an agent. Could be. I don't know. He played seven years in the league. He thinks that could be one of the things that's holding him back. So what would be the motivation for NFL ownership to be hostile to a player without an agent? 
I, I, I think they would love that. No different than they love. Say, oh, oh, Master P's going to represent you, Ricky Williams. Come on down. You're the next contestant. Oh, Lamar, your mama's going to represent you. Come on. We got a deal for you, baby girl. Let's talk. I, I don't. I, I think NFL ownership would love dealing with super inexperienced uh, people that, that don't have any qualifications for this. If, if there's any conspiracy, I think it's among agents who don't want that precedent set. They want all the players to have agents so that they don't get cut out of their 10%. Let me ask you this, though. If Lamar Jackson don't play football till week 11 of next year, is that a good thing or a bad thing for NFL? I would say bad thing. I'm pretty sure they want Lamar Jackson to be playing football right now. That is why the precedent may be set. We don't want this issue. We don't want to deal with you and your mom because it's taking this long. You should be signed, ready to go, focus on your fan base, supporting you, and et cetera, et cetera. Now we have one of our biggest names in football sitting out there in limbo waiting to end up somewhere. And I don't believe he's going to play in Baltimore. I think the more likely scenario is he's going to sit out 10 games and not play for 10 weeks. And then like Steve Kim and I had an argument with Matt about this. You don't sit out, you sit out 10 games and then you pop up game 11 like Deshaun Watson did this year and was an absolute joke. It was horrible to watch football in Cleveland to see Deshaun Watson, who missed the entire season, come in week 11 and try to do anything in the NFL. What, where, where's Lamar going to go week 11 next year, Jason? He's going to show up in Washington week 11 and learn the playbook and play? If you're a coach, do you want that? I don't. I don't have time, if, especially if we're in a playoff run with, let's say, with, let's say uh, you know, uh, whoever their quarterback is now, Sam Howell. Like, if he's, if he's got him at 500 and Lamar can be the guy to get him over the hump but don't know the playbook, like, what are we doing? Do you think that's viable in this league? I think the league's going to take a hit from the fan base, and I think that the popularity of it is what the NFL thrives on. And if Lamar Jackson's not playing, just like Aaron Rodgers, if he's not playing, uh, I think they take a hit. That's why I think that part of it could be true. I think they want this settled, and if they had an agent – they could have this done already, probably, because they know what they're doing. So you know how much of this game, particularly at the quarterback position, is between the ears. I'm starting to think that this is going to have a long-term impact on Lamar Jackson. That, you know, these negotiations are going to get personal and he's going to feel personally slighted. I, I'm not sure if his desires or expectations are going to be met. He, he may end up signing with a team he's not that comfortable with and not for as much money as he wants. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, so much of this is between the ears. I think there could be some permanent damage done to Lamar's development with a stilted offseason and, and perhaps some dissatisfaction about the way his contract situation played out. Let, let me ask you this question before I answer yours. Um, Lamar Jackson, have you seen the best of him or is the best yet to come? 
Lamar Jackson. I think it'd be tough to top his. I think it'd be tough to top his MVP season. That that was statistically and all that. That that's that's going to be tough to duplicate. So you've missed ten games. You've missed ten games a couple years. Um, out of the last few years, you've missed a lot of games, a lot of season. So let me ask you: If you're a GM or an owner, and you own Whitlock's Raiders, and you're going to bring this guy in, you've missed a lot of games. I'm looking at the sustainability of your style of play, which is a run first, take a beating quarterback. Are you worth $250 million? And how many years do I have you? Your best years are behind you if I'm a GM, coach, or owner. I cannot think that you have equal or better years ahead. I get it. You're very young. You have aged seemingly overnight, Jason, as the, because of the style of play. You have aged like a running back in the NFL. You've aged like Adrian Peterson aged. You've aged like Saquon Barkley overnight. And now they're looking at him as you're a dime a dozen. This is what we are drafting now. Look at all three top quarterbacks. Even if you want to add AR-15 to the mix. Uh that's what they call it, AR-15. What a great name, right, For especially during this time. of the, But anyway, Anthony Richardson, are they looking at him? Because here's my thing, Jason. If you're Carolina, why wouldn't you trade number one and go get Lamar Jackson right now if he is such a viable commodity? Why don't you trade one? You know why? Because it's what I, from what I'm hearing from my sources, it's true. And Carolina – is weighing AR-15 and Lamar Jackson. And they're saying, you know what? AR-15 is Lamar Jackson four years ago. And I'll have him an extra four years for 10 times the less money. 10 times cheaper. I'll draft AR-15. He's an equal athlete as Lamar. He's got the same arm talent. And I can have him and mold him. And I don't got to pay him. Do you do that? Or do you trade number one? And get and go get the Lamar Jackson sweepstakes because Baltimore wants two number ones from what I hear. So there's one number one. Um, if he's so good, why aren't people knocking down his door? Why didn't Baltimore exclusive tag him? Like I'm just asking questions here. Like it, it, it makes no sense to me if he's so highly touted in the NFL, <coughs> and I'm so wrong. Like everyone says, right? I'm such a Lamar hater. Why isn't nobody knocking down his door? There's teams out here who have mediocre quarterbacks to the novice fan. Why aren't they knocking down his door? Why isn't Seattle? Why isn't Seattle? Why isn't Tennessee? Why isn't Washington? Washington, Kobe Brissett's going to be your guy? Really? So, uh, Tannehill's still out there. Marcus Mariota's out there. Why aren't they looking at Lamar Jackson in a way to say I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. It, it, it's cuz I think the narrative on Lamar is that he's Cam Newton 2.0. And Cam Newton had a 2015 season that was like, "Woo! MVP, his team goes to the Super Bowl and then it was never seen again. He never played it. And then he started getting nicked up with injuries. 
And so I, I, I think that's the narrative. Cam Newton was MVP, never made another Pro Bowl after that. At least never he had another great season after that. At least he made it to a Super Bowl. Lamar's hasn't even sniffed a deep playoff run. And that's the other part that's hurting him, in my opinion, from ownership. Like, okay, I got to pay this guy 250 And then, see, this is, what, this is what an agent does, Jason, where a lot of people don't want to break this down. What an agent can do is if a Rosenhaus or, uh, or, or one of these, uh, you know, big-time guy, Lee Steinberg, who represents Mahomes now, who's a Newport Beach native who had a Troy Aikman and Deion Sanders, all those guys back in the day who got those huge contracts in the 90s. If a Lee Steinberg has you, this is what they do because of their relationships and what they know. They go in there and say, all right, this is the deal. Lamar's going to stay in Baltimore. We'll take your $133 million three-year deal. Guaranteed. But also, if at year three, Lamar Jackson is the cream of the crop in the NFL, incentive-based contract kicks in that we've put in place here that we want you to agree to, Baltimore, and it states that Lamar Jackson will be the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL at year four of this $133 million three-year deal. That is what an agent would have brought to the table. We could have started negotiating an incentive-based contract that states if Lamar Jackson balls out for three years on this 133, year four, he is guaranteed to be the highest-paid quarterback in the NFL. You know what that would have done, Jason? You know who's going to be the highest-paid quarterback next year, right? Joe Burrow. He's going to be a $300 million quarterback. Let's just, let's just get ready for this. He's going to be the first $300 million guy. Let's just make no mistake about it. The marketplace is, is set. So if that is the case. I thought there's a quarterback that I thought there was a quarterback with two Super Bowls and two MVPs that signed a $500 million contract. But go ahead. That's what I'm saying. He's already got that deal. That deal is already done. I'm talking about going forward. Burrow's going to sign the newest, biggest deal. And Lamar Jackson could top that deal if he had an agent and did something similar to what I just discussed. He could get something to be up there with Mahomes. He could do something like that to be a transcending deal, like the, the Watson, the guaranteed money f- factor of it. Like, that is what I, I, I don't get. And by the way, Lee Steinberg got Mahomes the $500 million deal. So I, I just, I'm curious to see how this unfolds and if they completely, really, truly blackball him by setting a precedent saying, this isn't how we want to run up. Op- this is not how we want to operate because we need you. One of our high flying talents in the NFL. We need the fan base who loves Lamar across the world, across the country to have him playing football already, not in limbo waiting to go somewhere. I think that's what, that's why the president's going to be set. I want to switch topics. I need you to interpret something being a coach or a former coach. Uh, I want you to make sense of Nate Oates, Nick Saban. Nick Saban made a wrong place, wrong time comment. He says it had nothing to do with Nate Oates. He doesn't watch basketball press conference, had no idea uh, that it happened. Nate Oates is on record saying he's all good with it, he's got no problem, and that Nick Saban talked to the team, uh, to the basketball team last night. Your take... Is there a problem? Was Nick Saban taking a shot at Nate Oates for the way he handled Brandon Miller? 1,000%. 
1,000% Nick Saban doesn't say anything without it being the highly of calculations. He's the highest calculated speaker on planet Earth. Everything he says is calculated, thought out, and ready to go for mainstream media when they put a microphone in his mouth. And if you don't think that's true, then you just don't know that all coaches, myself included, all, Jason, you played this game for coaches. All of us are egotistical maniacs. Now, it may not be in a bad way. It may not be in the best way. could be in the middle of the road. But we all have an ego of some sort. And if you don't think Nick Saban, which I came on my show three weeks ago and said, if you don't think Nick Saban is absolutely infuriated in, in, in hottest fish grease, for the fact that now once one of his players does anything wrong at all, he now has a major issue because what is Nick Saban going to do? Is he going to discipline his kid or is he going to let him play? Now he's under the limelight. Now the scrutiny is all on this athletic department as a whole. It's not just football. It is every athletic department. It's every sport under that, under that umbrella. Tennis, golf, basketball, baseball, wrestling. If any kid screws up, now the coach now is like, okay, what am I going to do? Well, Nate Oates can't say nothing, but there's no beef. What is he going to say? There's beef with Nick Saban? No. He's going to say, okay, uh, there's no problem here. Nick Saban guaranteed said that on purpose, not only for Nate Oates, but for the players under that athletic umbrella in that university. He's telling them, there's no accident that where you were. It ain't no wrong time, wrong place. You make choices. I say it every day. I just don't say it the way he says it, so I, I take backlash. People don't listen to my message. They hear my tone, and it's completely different. They actually listen to Saban because who he is, and, and, and he, you know, he, he don't cuss and all that stuff, even though he does cuss like a sailor on the field that you just don't see. But anyway, NATO's definitely guaranteed uh, knows that Saban said it on purpose, and he has to own it and bite it and eat it because there's nothing he can do. What's he going to say? He's going to go against the goat of all goats? No, he's not. And I, I just think that Saban's very mad right now because he has no room for error on any player on that roster on the football field. If his starting Mike Linebacker, uh, for instance, let's just say he gets a DUI next year. A DUI, Jason, is something we want to teach. Man, you can't do this. It's not, even though it's a crime and it's a dangerous one, we're going to say, listen, son, you can't do this. You're suspended, and but it's not a fireable offense. Do we? I hope we agree. I don't think it's a fireable one. But handing a gun to another dude where someone dies, I believe is a fireable one. And uh, I believe Saban is definitely making a message. And, and now he's pretty, I, I would say he's pretty, pretty ticked off because of what he can and cannot do with his own guys. Now there's no more dusting it under the rug. He's, he's well, in the I thought this is more than a DUI. This is about a kid with a gun and selling drugs and evading the police. I, in my view, much worse than what Brandon Miller, uh, if you really go look at the details of what Brandon Miller was, did and, and happened to him. I think what happened with the football player is much worse. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm just saying if a kid did get a DUI and that's it, he can't yeah. really do anything for that kid anymore. He can't help him at all where before he could have helped that kid and said, all right, you're going to be suspended a game, but you'll be back. Nowadays, 
nobody can do anything. Um, they're not going to be able to, to fart in the wind, Jason, and, and someone smell it at, at the football, on the football field because he's, he's going to be under so, so much scrutiny now, and so is that department. Um, curious to see. I'm actually picking San Diego State to upset them. I just think at one point Alabama's talent is going to run out with all the stress and the drama that they're facing. You know, got armed guards walking Miller around. At some point, it's going to become so overbearing. Now, they could just say, screw the world and go out here and beat everybody because they're that talented. But if you, I, I, I'm going to bet the other way with 18, 19, 20-year-olds that the stress is, uh, is going gonna, is gonna to end up um, coming to uh, some stress and they end up losing a game to a team they shouldn't lose to. I think San Diego State definitely covers the, the spread tonight if they don't beat them in an upset. Mm. All right, we got some betting advice from Coach JB. Thank you, JB. Have a good weekend. Uh, hope hey. you win some bets this week, hey, this I'm weekend glad. on the NCAA tournament. I'm glad I'm not the only one that has beef for me and Kimes. Thank you. Appreciate you. <laughs> hold, hold, hold on. Did he hang up? I, I didn't know he had beef with Mina Kimes. Is JB still there? You got beef with Mina Kimes? What's the beef? You don't know that Sarah Spain and Mina Kimes and me, we've gone at it on Twitter. You have no clue. Oh, we go oh, wow. at it. Yeah, oh, yeah. We've had it out. We've had it out. Mina Kimes and Sarah Spain, we've had it out on Twitter. What are they she, mad at you about? Uh, she, you know how bad it is? They got they got Levitard involved. They got Levitard oh, after boy. me. They got Levitard after me. So it was all three of them on me. Um, oh, man, because I, I just speak the truth, and they didn't like it. And I had three kids from University of Minnesota who, who had falsely, been falsely accused of, uh, of, a, of a domestic charge and was nationally, global, globally known, and it was, uh, it was a huge case. And uh, they forfeited, you know, they had to forfeit a bowl game uh, that year at Minnesota against Washington State. They were supposed to play them, and they ended up playing them, but they wouldn't play the kids. So the kids sued the university. And Sarah Spain and them came after me because I allowed them to play on my team in JUCO, which they were cleared of any wrongdoing. And I know everything about the case, but yet they think that they know everything. And I'm like, you don't know anything. Have you read the dossier? And they all attacked me. And I'm like, what? And so I went after Mina. I'm like, I really, I'm glad you give owners and GMs advice on picking QBs. I'm glad you played the position. I, I'm, I remember, I, I forget watching you take a three-step drop and throwing it hits, Mina. But you know more than me, so. Mm, all right, good stuff. I didn't know that. Uh, oh, yeah. well, if I, well, I'm about to go back in on it. But anyway, thank you, JB. Have a good weekend. Uh, Blaze TV is news and entertainment for people who love America. No matter what age you are, there's something on here for you. You'll get all the news of the day, but you'll also get so much more. From opinion to spirituality to sports, from observations on the world events to outright comedy, there truly is something for everyone on Blaze TV. All you need to do is pick the plan that fits you best and then watch live and on demand on your favorite device anytime anywhere. Are you a student, a member of the military, or a first responder? If so, don't forget to include that when you subscribe and you'll get a $30 discount on an annual pass. The left wins cultural battles, but Blaze TV is out to win the cultural war. That effort depends on you. So sign up today and get all the entertainment and enlightenment you've been missing. 
Join Blaze TV today and get $30 off an annual pass with our student, military, or first responder discount. Just go to subscribeblazetv.com, click the verification button, and enter your ID to get started. That's $30 off an annual pass for students, military, and first responders at subscribeblazetv.com. Subscribeblazetv.com. Don't forget you can email me and us, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. I'm gonna go back in on Mina Kimes next. Hi, I'm Anthony Walker, and I want to share a Bible story. One of the most iconic movies in American cinema history is The Ten Commandments, directed and narrated by Cecil B. DeMille. The 1956 epic made actor Charlton Heston a superstar and depicted the narrative arc of the life of Moses and his leadership of Israel out of Egypt. Yes, years ago, Hollywood routinely made heroes of the great men in the Bible. The story of Moses told in the book of Exodus. Moses became the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter and was raised as an Egyptian. He grew up listening to Egyptian music around Egyptian idols, bathed in Egyptian culture. However, Moses was a Hebrew, an Israelite, one of the nation of God's chosen people. As Moses matured into adulthood, he had an identity crisis. He had to make a choice as to who he would become as a man. He could embrace the culture that raised him and live in the fantasy world of Egyptian paradise, or he could embrace his spiritual heritage and suffer for the salvation of his people. This is a choice that every male must make. You either choose to embrace the cross of Christ and suffer for the salvation of your family and your people, or you choose to embrace the fantasy that the culture has cooked up for you. More simply put, it's a choice to be a man or remain a boy. In the past week, Jason and much of the sports world have referred to the identity crisis that young athletes are facing today. In particular, and most recently, Ja Morant, the Memphis Grizzlies star. Like Moses, Ja and many of his NBA peers are faced with the same decision that Moses had to make in Egypt thousands of years ago. Should they remain loyal to the culture that has bathed them in riches or answer God's calling for all men to serve him? Ja was raised in one family, a structure reflective of God's natural order, but as he grew in stature, fame, and wealth, he decided to embrace the family and culture of the streets. As Patrick Beverly suggested, Ja is living the life of the music that he listens to. It's music that degrades women, music that glorifies drug life, music that promotes death, music that worships the idols of this world. Street life, 
drug life, thug life, it isn't real. It's a fantasy. The problem with immature people is that they confuse fantasy with reality. The fantasy is thinking that you can live however you want without consequence. The fantasy is thinking that life is a game. It's not a game. That reality just hit Ja in the face. He's been banished, his family's name sullied, and now Ja has to sit with himself and sort out who he wants to be. All Christians should pray that he chooses Moses over Mammon and the culture. Just like Jah, Moses had a pivotal moment in his life. He saw an Egyptian and a Hebrew fighting. This was an actual fight, but it actually personified the fight that was going on in Moses' life. In order to make the fight stop, Moses killed the Egyptian, but he also killed the Egyptian identity in his life. He chose to follow God and become who God designed him to be. He got married to a godly woman, started a family, and started working as a shepherd. He embraced the simple, modest life. Just as things began to settle in his life, God called Moses to go back to Egypt. This was not a call to come back and put on for the homies. It was not a call to come back and hit up the clubs and make it rain. And it certainly was not a call to go back and resume the life he once had as an Egyptian. God called Moses to return to liberate his people from bondage in Egypt. This was not a call to a boy or one who was insecure in their identity. This was a task for a man. When Moses returned, he had to face a Pharaoh that was determined not to lose his slaves. But he also had to face his people who were slaves that didn't want to leave. The parallel to our current society is the fact that some would rather sell themselves or even sacrifice their children in order to hold on to the fool's goal the culture promises. No matter how many overdoses, murders, addicts, or broken families we see, there is still a pressure to live for a culture that's killing us. When you embrace God, there are things that you leave. The book of Exodus sounds like what it means, exit us. The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. It's time for us to leave the childish ways of the streets and embrace the ways of godly manhood. It's time to, to leave the childish ways of sex, drugs, and street life and embrace faith, marriage, family, and discipleship. If the world is going to change, it will take every man making the godly choice. My point is, Jah is not in this alone. God is using Jah to send a message to all of us. If we want Jah to make the right decision, if we want young people to make the right decision, 
we must help them by rejecting the culture that is seducing them. We're enabling the identity crisis. We're keepers of the culture. The Hebrew writer states, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You can either be hood famous, have street credentials and die young, or you can suffer for the cause of Christ, save your family and live forever. Let's all serve the Lord. Let us all choose the path of Moses. I'm Anthony, and that's my Bible story. All right, welcome back. Uh, I want to take one more crack at this Mina Kimes uh, controversy. It, it, it spilled out over social media for much of the day yesterday. Mina Kimes uh, fired off a tweet, taking a little shot at me, it, it, it was fascinating stuff. You know, she's saying that, uh, you know, I had tweeted out, raise your hand if you knew Nip was an ethics slur. I did not tell me how Mina Kimes' life was impacted by this, other than nailing herself to a cross, I don't see the damage, blah, blah, blah. She uh, fired back and, you know, said that, uh, Nailing myself to a cross, I made one joke and went back to work because unlike you, I still talk about sports for a living. Have a great day. And so, uh, you know, she's playing the role that she didn't nail herself to a cross. You, you guys know the little Boston radio guy. He didn't say the word nip, he, but he insinuated she was a nip. And, you know, it's, it's a reference to being Japanese and... People say it's an ethnic slur, and I'm just like, other than crying about being a victim, when do we ever talk about Mina Kimes? When, when does she ever say anything interesting about the world of sports? She doesn't, and so she's there because of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and she's not that clever when it comes to sports. She's very clever about being a victim. And now she's pretending like, hey, I, I, I didn't nail myself to a cross. I went back to work. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. And because I then went and looked at her Twitter page and started looking at what is she following? I mean, what is she liking? What is she really doing? And she's just started liking all of these tweets from people celebrating her and or attacking me. I'm going to run through a few of them, or maybe all of them, but it started with Seth Davis, the college basketball announcer. You are very good at Twitter. Mina Kimes like that. Holly Robinson Pete, and I've had beef with a lot of these people. Sis, pay that man no mind. Holly Robinson Pete, that's Rodney Pete's wife. Uh, Stan Verrett, he's a stalker of mine. He does the late night ESPN Sports Center with Neil Everett. Stan Verrett loves to stalk me. He's been reeking of desperation lately. Beck must have told him to get those engagement numbers up or he's going to fire him like everyone else did. 
L. Duncan, uh, another, you know, what did Chris Rock say? Somebody hit the light skin lottery. L. Duncan claims to be black. She looks very white. She's a sports center host at ESPN. Dance to rap music? LOL. Everyone knows you lean back and bob your head when rap's on anyways. <sighs> Damon Bruce, I believe he's a radio host in, in San Francisco. Another guy that loves to uh, stalk me, Bob Ro a Bob Ross gif? I, I don't get Mike Golick Jr. Mm, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Yeah, talking about me. Mike Golick Jr. wants to join in this. Mike, I mean, you want to talk about nepotism and white privilege? Lord have mercy, Mike. You're the definition of it. Uh, be careful. You don't want this smoke. <clears throat> uh, Billy Hartford, I don't really know who this is. Jason Wax still wants his 40 acres and a mule. <laughs> Darius Butler, I think he's some former athlete of some kind. Dog. Dave Schilling, LeBron smoking cig gift. Dave Zyron, oh uh, yeah, one of these Zionist uh, stalkers of mine, LOL. In probably less than 30 seconds of Twitter time, Mina Kimes dunked on several wings of the sport's bigot industrial complex. These bloated lightweights effed around and found out. They found out you best not miss. <laughs> Dave, Zy Dave Zyron's been stalking me for like two decades. I virtually, I mean, I, I, I'm unaware of any important work he's done other than being someone who's paid uh, to criticize me. I don't know who Fabian is. Typical thinking of a delusional narcissist. If I didn't know it, it must not be. And then, and then when they're told it has been a reality for decades, they then shift to how it's not a big deal and what about isms. Oh, Justin Tinsley, who I hired. Here's the thing. You're not going to outsmart or outwit Mina Kimes. She's one of the smartest, kindest people you'll ever meet. But don't bark up that tree because that tree will fall on you. But if you really want to piss her off, bring up QB win-loss records. That'll do the trick, LOL. I gave Justin a job. I, that's not really coming at me. That's, that's him feeling sorry for Mina and throwing, throwing her a pat on the back. <clears throat> Kyle Yates, you would think by now that people would have learned their lesson trying to go after Mina. Uh, Lindsey Rhodes, part of me doesn't want to give this air, and Mina Kimes is more than capable of fighting her own battles, but to be real with you, this tactic is a trigger point, and Jason knows it, and that's why he says it. Marcus Spears, former NFL player, broadcaster on the NFL, Twitter god, G-A-W-D, uh, Pablo Torre, flawless victory gift, uh, Reverend Dr. Dodge, uh, I don't know what he did. Only Whitlock could try to minimize someone else's offense while simultaneously mocking the largest faith tradition in the entire planet. That's next level clout chasing. Uh, Tim Kwakakami, uh, longtime sports writer. I used to know Tim. Mina is the last person who should have been dragged into this performative stooge theater. She's the real thing doing Good stuff every day. The Stooges are just frauds groveling for attention. Well, Compton, look at all of you pigeons in the comments. No clue how this Twitter octagon works. The man got ratioed in a matter of seconds, dubbed him in the first quarter, 10-run rule in the first inning. Both teams are just taking knees to get the game over with. Your alpha lost. <sighs> but she just went back to work. 
She didn't like all those tweets. She didn't spend her day monitoring this. Look, <clears throat> Mina Kimes is in a contract year. And we've seen how these things play out at ESPN with the female broadcasters. They nail themselves to crosses. Maria Taylor did it uh, when she was in a contract uh, dispute with ESPN and wanted to be paid like uh, Stephen A. Smith. Awful announcing her agent, you know, talks about Maria's uh, contract being up in 2023 and how her agent will be fielding all these offers from all these different networks because Mina Kimes is one of the best free agents out on the market. For what? What has she done? I mean, honestly. And, and I, I do think she's attractive. And, and I, a lot of people in a, want to diss her looks or whatever. No, Mina Kimes is attractive. But that's it. And she's Asian. And so she provides them a different look. But she doesn't know anything about the NFL. Not really. Not to be one out there as an NFL expert like she needs to be arguing with NFL players. It's a joke. And, and I get that everybody, she's likable and nice and she's attractive and men and women like her. I get it. But she signed up and a lot of these women signed up to get into the sports talk, sports journalism arena. And there's blowback that comes along with spouting your opinions in the media. She wants to be exempt from them. She wants everybody to cape up for her. ESPN puts out a statement about how hateful and extremely offensive some guys half a second comment on some Boston radio station. Do you, and again, I'm not asking anybody to feel sorry for me or any sports writer. You know, the kind of stuff that has been said about me for years and years and years this is what goes along with having an opinion. You, you think Tucker Carlson or anybody in this arena, I can rap, you think Peter King doesn't get blasted and hasn't for years? You think, Mike Florio, I don't like him. I blast him all the time. No one's throwing pity parties for him. No one's releasing statements, throwing pity parties for, for Mike Florio. But we've brought women into this arena, and now we have to play by women's rules. I'm not going to do it. Everybody's either going to play by the same rules, or everybody's just going to have to complain about me because I'm going to make everybody play by the same rules. If I can go on this show or on Twitter and blast Shannon Sharp, I can go on Twitter and blast Mina Kimes. She got an opinion. She loves to play her and Sarah Spain. They love this little gimmick of, oh my God, I'm Jesse Smollett. Someone, someone in Boston said, this is MAGA country and said I was a nip and oh my God. Put out a statement, ESPN. Sarah Spain, put out a statement. I'm gonna pretend like I don't care and I'm above it all. And I'm gonna have Marcus Spears and everybody else cape up for me. And, and y'all throw a pity party, that mean old Jason Whitlock. He's treating me like I'm an equal, like I'm like everybody else, and I'm not. I'm a woman. Hear me roar. And we spend all of our life, all our time now, sitting around worried about whose feelings got hurt 
over a comment in some city where they don't even live. And it's all about money. It's all a negotiation and leverage. Feel sorry for me, I'm a victim. Oh my God, give me more money. Do you know how much heat I take just for being a woman? Maria Taylor did it, got paid. Michelle Beadle played this game. She ended up getting run out of ESPN after a while, but many of these women have been playing this game in the sports media and in, just in the world in general. We've the, the, the reason why we've run away from sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me, is because we've lowered all the standards of what we are supposed to be able to tolerate without whining and crying to make room for women. That's what's happened. That's why we're so overly concerned. Oh my God, someone said something that hurt Maria Taylor's feelings. Oh, that hurt Jason Whitlock's feelings. And we're just running around making sure no one's feelings ever get hurt. Life doesn't owe you that. America doesn't owe you that. Words, if you're in the right mindset, are harmless. And so many people, it's like Stan Verrett and these other people, and, and it's said all the time over the internet <clears throat> that I've changed. And, and, and I've heard people say, oh, yeah, Whitlock, you changed. You just grifting. You know, you weren't like this. Now you're just doing it for the money. You're just doing it for conservatives. And, and I'm like, what? Really? I've changed? Are you sure that I have changed? I have not changed. The world has changed. It's gone soft and woke and feminine. I, I sit here because th this allegation that somehow my stick or my point of view has changed based on who I'm employed by. And so I, I just... Like, what world have they been living in? And so last night, this morning, I, I just wanted to refresh my memory on my own narrative. I know it all myself, but I just went and looked it up. Like, are these guys not aware? Like, everything I said about Mina Kimes and the whole nip issue and the Boston sports rate, it's no different than everything I said in 2007 about Don Imus and nappy-headed hoes, and Rutgers women's basketball, and rap music. It's the exact same thing. I went and looked it up. I went and reread. Now, the Kansas City Star has disappeared much, of, much or all of my work because they're feminine too, and you know they're mad about the way that I exited, and so they disappeared my whole library. But it's still out there because the work was so good, other newspapers picked it up and they still carry it. But when, when the Don Imus nappy-headed hose thing happened in 2007, I wrote a column that said the same thing I just said about Mina Kimes and this whole Boston deal. Like, hey, uh, this dude is irrelevant. I was talking about Imus to black people. We don't watch his show. We don't care about him. He's irrelevant. 
And the people that are really doing damage to the image of black women and black people are rappers. This is what I wrote. And in 2007, I was celebrated for writing it. Oprah Winfrey had me come on her show for two days to represent her point of view. Oprah agreed with me. And she knew I had the balls to come on her show and represent her point of view as like, Hey, I get it. Uh, what Don Imus said was bad, but man, all these rappers that we actually listen to and support, what they're saying about black women is atrocious. I went on Oprah Winfrey's show for two days and represented that point of view. We, I couldn't find the clip, but I could find a clip of Matt Lauer had me on. This is in 2007 when I, when I did this. He had me on, talking about my point of view in 2007. The exact same thing I'm saying right now about Mina Kimes and what happened in Boston, saying it in 2007. Matt Lauer had me on, play the clip. In terms of race in this country, did we have a good week or a bad week? We had a horrible week, and, and it continues because Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, continue to go light fires around the country and divide people rather than bringing us together and rather than moving black people in a positive direction that will truly lead to our social and economic equality, these guys are uh, taking us back, backwards instead of forward. All right, Jason, thank you very much. The front part of that interview was me talking about Don Imus. That's why he had me on. Here, Soledad O'Brien on CNN in 2007 had me on debating with Al Sharpton. On, on the same day I did the Matt Lauer, you'll see I'm wearing the exact same outfit. It's on the same day. This is in April of 2007. This is me and Al Sharpton. At the same time, Jason, you said that you actually thought in all of this Imus was irrelevant and insignificant. I'm quoting you on that. What do you mean? Why? To us, to us as black people, he, he carries no weight in our community. He has no influence over us. He doesn't define us. He's not the one defining our women as bitches and hoes. We, we know who that is. Uh, Don Imus is insignificant, and we've turned him into this all-powerful figure. My point of view hasn't changed. Because my, my point on Mina Kimes is like, she ain't in Boston. She don't listen to this radio show. She don't even know this happened. It was half a second. It had no impact on her life. What is she doing here? What's anybody doing? What's ESPN doing? What's Sarah Spain doing? We just made victimhood, this, this, the most popular thing you can be. And everybody's looking to be a victim of some incredible crime. And then I, I even went and looked in 2000, later in 2007, I, I, I did a piece uh, on the Genesis Six. This was a controversy for some of you that are young. This was a controversy where allegedly uh, some black kids beat up a white kid at a high school in Louisiana nearly killed the kid, and Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and everybody came in and ran a scam that, well, they beat him up because 
Three months earlier, someone hung a noose on a tree at the school and they beat this kid up three months later for that. I went down to Jenna, Louisiana in 2007, interviewed all the involved parties, and came out and told the real story that a white minister from Texas concocted that narrative, sold it to a reporter at the Chicago Tribune. The Chicago Tribune started writing this story and the rest of the media picked up on it and that's how they came up with the Genesis 6 hoax. They, the, the, the black kids beat the white kid up in reality because the weekend before they beat him up, they got in a fight at a little weekend house party among, uh, uh, among high school kids. But this dude, Alan Bean, some social justice warrior in the early 2000s, white minister from Texas, he wrote on a blog and concocted this whole crazy narrative that everybody bought into. I went down there and wrote a story about it, blew up that entire narrative because that's what I've been doing my entire career, blowing up false narratives, blowing up false narratives about victimhood and everybody wanting to lean into their victim because I don't believe in victimhood. And at that time, it was just a natural instinctive thing that, that, that was just in me as a journalist and just as a human being. I didn't have an understanding that it was a byproduct of my biblical worldview. I didn't understand it then. I do now. I understand why my instincts run the way they do and why I did things the way that I did years ago. Nothing has changed. I just now have a better understanding of why I operate the way that I do. But the difference is in 2007, when you could have a biblical worldview, and look, trust me, there was a lot of blowback and controversy about the things that I was writing and doing in the, two, in the early 2000s. I blew up, I, I looked this last night, this one. I blew up the entire Duke lacrosse narrative in 2006. You can go look it up yourself. I was the only one saying, hey man, this is bogus. This is a debate between college students and hookers. Who am I supposed to believe? A group of college students or two hookers? I'm like, well, hold on. If two witnesses took the stand and one's a college student and one's a hooker, who's got more credibility? And so I said, this doesn't make sense. And I wrote at the time, I was like, well, let's think this through. If a group of black college students were in an argument with a white stripper slash hooker, who would the media tell us to believe? a group of black college students or the white stripper slash hooker? Who would we be instructed to believe? And so if that's the case, I got to side with these Duke lacrosse players. They're the college students. It only makes sense. And the stories doesn't add up and there's all kinds of evidence that, 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 that they didn't rape this woman. 
and she's got all kinds of mental issues. And so I blew that up in 2006. Nothing has changed and, and, and other than the culture and what's acceptable. I'm t the, this, the same thing I did with Mina Kimes is the same thing I was doing 15 years ago and winning National Journalism Awards and being celebrated and building a great career. Now, corporate media, the mainstream media, doesn't allow that. You can't blow up bogus narratives about victimhood. You're painted as a racist or a sellout. Oprah Winfrey won't touch you now. We've moved into this world of lies and dishonesty where all the people that used to like care about the truth and wanted to have a robust conversation. You can go look it up. It's hard to find, but, but I did. The View, when Barbara Walters was the host, Rosie O'Donnell was on the show, Elizabeth Hasselbeck was on the show, Joy Behar was on the show. Go look it up. In 2007, when the Don Imus thing was going on, Rosie O'Donnell, a leftist, defended me and celebrated me on The View. Said she had a crush on me because of my take on Don Imus. Barbara Walters, Joy Behar in 2007, you can go look it up. They were saying Don Imus shouldn't be fired. They had to argue down Elizabeth Hasselbeck, who was the conservative on The View, who was calling, this is before Imus got fired, but she was saying, I, Elizabeth Hasselbeck was saying she wanted Imus fired. The liberals, Rosie, Barbara, and Joy Behar were saying, no, you don't want to do that. That could blow back and the same thing could be done to you. We got to respect the First Amendment. This is on The View. The same left-wing fascists that want to destroy everybody used to think and operate differently. They had some integrity, some honesty, a set of principles and values that they adhered to. Now they don't. Every issue is decided along political lines not with logic, not with any consistent logic. I, I have not changed. The world has changed. And you can be mad at me for not changing with the world and not adopting the lies and dishonesty and falling into the victimhood narrative that the world has. I'm not going to do it. I'm not a victim. Neither is Mina Kimes. She's an overpaid NFL analyst who's going to get even more money in her next contract while doing virtually nothing other than playing a victim. That's how far we've gone with this victim thing. That that's now a job. She's not on TV to talk about, to add any insight into the NFL. She's there to make ESPN feel good. Look how good we are. Look how diverse we are. We've got an Asian woman talking football with former NFL players and coaches. See how good we are? And she's a, and they put her in the crosshairs 
because anybody Stevie Wonder can see what the hell is this woman doing in here talking to the NFL with some NFL players. And so she gets criticized. And ESPN knows they've put her in a no-win situation. That's why they overpay her, and that's why everybody circles the wagons and defends her and rallies around her, because they all feel sorry for her. We've put you in a spot where you're not qualified and you look like a clown, and people like Whitlock and a few others point it out, and so we're gonna overpay you, and we're gonna pretend like you're the biggest victim in the world, and you're the MLK of Asian NFL experts. I have not changed. My values, my talking points, my worldview, it's been very consistent. I don't like victims or victimhood mentality. People, bad things happen to people, but you cannot wallow in it. I've had bad things happen to me. I cannot wallow in it. I can sit here and, oh, how unfair ESPN treated me the second time I worked there. So what? Get back up and do something else. We've lost that mentality. I'm, I'm despised and polarizing because I reject victimhood. And everybody else wants me to run around and play the victim like, and, and pretend like I'm a victim like they pretend like they're victims. I'm not going to do it. So <clears throat> I think that's all I want to say on that. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, we'll see you. Play tomorrow. We'll see you. Thank you.